to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from the Culture Ministry where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We are so glad you are listening in. And if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, go to www.thecultureministry.com for more information. Ever wondered what it's like to live with bipolar disorder? Join us as our guest John Harter shares his journey from his initial diagnosis at 17 to creating a fulfilling life all while managing the condition. We dive deeper into John's personal coping strategies, revealing the essential role sleep plays in managing his bipolar disorder, along with the ongoing support from his friends and family. John's career journey is also brought into focus, highlighting his diverse roles and how these workplaces have accommodated his condition during challenging episodes. As we wrap up our conversation, John sets our sights towards the future discussing his potential plans to venture into public speaking and harness the power of storytelling to connect with others and share his experiences. This decision reflects his desire to step out of his comfort zone and use his experiences to help others. John's journey with bipolar disorder underscores the importance of understanding, support and resilience. It is a powerful reminder that while mental health conditions may be part of our lives, they do not define us. His story serves as an inspiration, shedding light on the unseen fight many people face while living with bipolar disorder. Here's your host, Lisa Mulligan. Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity this week. And I have, I guess, another special guest. I mean, all my guests are special, uh, but John is the father of my very first employee, Taylor. And it's so nice to talk to him about something that's affected him in his life. So welcome to the podcast, John. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, Lisa. Yes, good. Yeah. Um, And I know when we spoke before, you're so proud of Taylor. um, And she's doing so well working with me. So That's good. No, she's she's a pretty amazing young lady, actually. She's getting older now. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've seen all the way through, you see, from a little baby right through to a um, grown woman. And she's, yeah. Yeah, she's, and she's um, excelled all the way along. Quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, I'm really proud to be working with her. So, um, and, you know, early on when she started working with me, she helps me on, on the podcast. She does a yeah. lot of the social media work. And she said to me, oh, my dad should come on your podcast. And I'm like, really? What would your dad talk about? And so then she told me about your bipolar diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, oh, I'd love I'd love to have him on the podcast because I haven't had anyone speak about, I guess, mental health issues like what you've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You're based in New Zealand. That's right. What, what town do you live in? I'm living in Palmerston North now. I was living in Masterton nice. for 50-odd years. Um, that was my base, and all my yeah. family was there. And then I met a wonderful lady and got uh-huh. dragged over to Palmerston and um, got oh. married a couple of years ago, and so I've been living here in um, Palmerston ever since. So Nice. Nice. That's a, a very nice part of New Zealand. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't realise how nice it was until I started um, journeying over here. And yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, and love makes it nice too, right? Oh, love's, love makes everything nice, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Uh, it really does. Um, yeah. So, So tell me a bit about how, I guess, how you knew that something was a bit different for you. When when was the first time you thought, yeah, there's something going on for me that other people don't have? Well, the um, the first time for me was when I was at Warrapa College and um, I was 17. Mm-hmm. I was doing really well. I was having a lot of fun with school and uh, enjoying all the sports and everything. And then um, with with bipolar, you, you, you generally have triggers, things that um, activate the problem. And um, mine, in this case... We we think we're not a hundred percent sure, but was um, the fact that I put carpet in a little minivan that I was given by my parents, and I glued it in with um, Ados F two glue, and mm-hmm. I was in the van. It started raining, and I was in the van for eight hours. And when I came out, I didn't know who I was, what I was, or Ooh. anything. And I, I tried to function and carry on normally, but I lost the plot totally. So as a consequence, I went into hospital for two or three months, and they had no idea, no diagnosis, didn't know what was going on, tried all sorts of treatments on me and um, came out of that in a coma. I went into a coma when I was um, released from the hospital and I went in, back to Masterton Hospital. And um, I had that for three weeks. And then um, the they put me out on seven different types of drugs. They were, they were mm-hmm. trying all sorts of drugs to try and sort me out, and that really wasn't the answer. And so they, um, the doctor that was looking after me at the time, Dr. De Silva, he um, took me off everything and put me on lithium. I don't know if you've heard about lithium. You've heard of lithium batteries and cars and stuff like that. As a medication, it's quite amazing. It's been around for years, and it's um, one of the greatest things for bipolar. And um, he put me on this. And I came out of the coma and I started to get back into normal life. And so that was the first time that I'd um, had an idea that there was something different about me. Yeah. And I still had, hadn't really un- understood it, you know, at that stage. So. Did you have a diagnosis, like coming out of that period, did you have a diagnosis of bipolar? No, no, I didn't. No, I, f- um, for four years after that, I, 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 um, just living in Masterton and working as a survey technician in a survey firm, and um, my life just was normal. There's no 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 difference from anybody else. And then um, I decided I wanted to travel, and I went overseas and I travelled for two years. Had an amazing time, found my independence, achieved a lot of things I never would have achieved normally, and yeah. and then um, ended up going on to. Um, uh, I worked for a survey firm over in Australia and I had to work as a mine survey miner and, um, and constructing the mine and, and, um, being the, the total surveyor for that. So for three weeks, I busted my bottom and, um, <laughs> you can say ass. <laughs> can, can you? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Busted my ass. Oh, my ass was busted. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I came back from that and I had a lot of money because back in those days, mining was huge. It still mm. is. But I, I made a lot of money and I was only young. And I came back and 
as a consequence of working on a mine on, on my own with the surveying, I had to really utilise my brain a hell of a lot more than I ever have. And I think I wound myself up, which is one of the things you can do as a bipolar to initiate a high. And mm-hmm. I, I came back from the the mine site and went to, into Perth. I was living in Perth at the time. And I had $6,000 to spend. And uh, I don't know if you realise bipolar love to spend their money. They, they, oh, they have no, no restraints at all. So I went and uh, I decided music was my thing. So I went and bought $6,000 worth of music instruments because I'd seen a, um ad wow. for a, a Peloton thing they were having in Australia to raise money. And I thought I'd get out there and raise money with my friends that I'd met over there and I'd give them all the instruments. And it was an amazing trip. It was really good, but <laughs> it lost touch with reality near the end, unfortunately. Right. And um, as a consequence, my brother came over from New Zealand to see what was going on because – I think the family heard that um, I wasn't doing the normal things again and were thinking it could be a relapse of what had happened when I was 17. So right. he came over to try and sort me out, thrown in the deep end totally because he was trying to deal with a guy that was on a high and never experienced it. And um, we, we started to travel from Perth to Sydney and we, he, he seemed to think if we were travelling, we are going to be all right. Be, will be under control. But I, I left him in Usla, which is the border town on um, on Western Australia. And he, he, he went to bed and I didn't. I got back in the car and drove back to Perth, the four or five hour drive, and um, left him there. And as a consequence again, <laughs> I um, <laughs> got picked up by the cops, taken to hospital. And they, I told them that I was on lithium at a, at a, at a time because yeah. I'd stopped taking the lithium when I went travelling. And um, they put me into a hospital and my brother came back and I had to wait another month before they brought me back. So, yeah, and that was when I had my first diagnosis of bipolar. Of bipolar. Yeah, tell when me, I was Tell 21. me about, yeah, 21, wow. Mm. Tell me about... What, your behaviour when you're on a high. So obviously spending lots of money. Yeah, spending, um, spending money. What um, else? Grandiose, grandiose for, for feelings. You know, you think you can do anything. It's funny, I was talking to my wife about this the other night and um, when I first met her, I, I got um, high because I was so elated meeting such a wonderful woman, <laughs> which was out of control for me because I'd, I'd already hand, always handled it pretty well, but there was something about this lady. And um, I, I told her that I could fly planes and helicopters <laughs> and very, very convincing. You know, she, she believed everything that I said and that, um, yeah, so it wasn't until a little bit later that she found out that 90% of the stuff that I told her was all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> she but still the thing, loves you, good, so that's the, something. <laughs> yeah, the, the good thing about this was that um, Julie hung in there you know, a lot of people in that sort of situation don't want to know about it. But yeah. she, um, I don't know what it was, whether I had a good smile or something, but um, she hung in there and came. She when, when I was in hospital, she came over and visited me every weekend from, from Palmerston mm-hmm. and um, built, built up a strong relationship between the two of us. And, and between... With, with that as a basis, we've got a huge um, background and understanding in each other, you know. So 
No, it's been bloody good. Do you have... So sometimes people with bipolar, they have the really high highs and they have really low lows. Do you experience those big swings or is it just... I, I have the high highs, definitely have yeah. the high highs and um, my family would tell you about that and Julie would tell you about that. Mm-hmm. My daughter definitely would tell you about that. Yeah. Um, but the lows, I'm quite lucky really. I, I don't really get the lows to the extent that a lot of um, bipolar do have. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not too sure what the reasoning is for that, but um, I think I consider myself very grateful and very lucky to not have to deal with that because that is a huge, huge undertaking going through all that. So, yeah. 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 Um, tell me a bit about, um, I guess, between you actually got diagnosed when you were 21, Yeah, which... I'm guessing was a big help then because then you know what you're dealing with, then you can start to manage that yeah, condition. R- right. From, so from how that do you point, manage I was it? on lithium. Yeah. So, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So. And do you have, um, I guess, a rhythm of episodes? Like, do you know that maybe every four years or so you might have an episode or is it much yeah. more sporadic than that? Well, my, my, um, sister Chris. Um, she she used to say that it was every two years, and she could okay. pretty much um, get it, break it down, and show me where where it fit in there. But yeah. in saying that, I um left my wife, my first wife, Taylor's mum, and mm. um, uh, we we sort of had a discussion, and she said, you know, because she she'd been through quite a lot of highs, my ex wife, and hung in there and that sort of thing, but. Then when we broke up, she there was a bit of callous between the two of us, and she said, "I oh, you, you you're you're never gonna um, survive. You'll be you're having highs all the time. You'll be out of control. You're never gonna find another woman. You're never gonna get another job." And, and oh shit, I came away from that feeling pretty <laughs> bloody down and everything. Yeah. But instead of um, dwelling on it, I turned it around and thought, "Buggy." So from then, I had ten years where I was clean and I had no problems. So th- th- that's pretty much my record, 10 years without, without a high. So, yeah. yeah. And when you have a high, does it mean every time you get hospitalised? No, not every or? time. I've had – well, the, the, the funny thing is it, it, it's like a regulating a bath, warming a bath or something. You know, you, if you put really hot water in, you're going to have problems and you've, you've got to deal with it. But if the mm-hmm. water's tepid – you can handle it, and there's no no problems. Same with the highs. If the highs are really high, you've got to get help. You, you can't control it. You can't do it yourself. But there's a lot of times when I'd be getting high, and I'd be in control, and it's almost like drinking again. You know, where you have that you have that drink, and you think, oh, one more, and I'll be all right, and that one more puts you over the top. I'm yeah. in the same situation with my mind. If I push myself a little bit too far, I'm gone. But if I don't, I can actually enjoy quite a lot of um, stimulation and, and ability to get high but still be in control. But okay. it's it's such a tricky one, you know. It's like, it's like being an yeah. alcoholic. It's, it's, it's like all those things, you know. Yeah. yeah. What are the things you do in your life? I guess to keep the bath water at the the same temperature. Ah, yes. How do you manage yes, well, it? Oh, that that, that um, that's a big chunk of my life. It's music. I've always played music and sung, and 
I, I used to sing in the pubs and go to um, rest homes oh. and sing at rest homes and all that sort of thing. That um, generates and fills my um, tank to a huge extent. I've, I've sort of lost it a little bit coming over to Palmy because back in Masterton, I was with a crowd of people that were right into it and it flowed all the time. Over here, I'm struggling to find people that I can get organised. Okay. So, um, but that that's probably one of the mo- major things. Yeah, is music. Eh? You, um, I know when we first spoke, you talked a bit about sleep. Yeah, and and the importance of sleep. Tell us. A very tell us important. That... Very important. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do to make sure you get sleep? Because for some people, sleep can be an elusive thing, right? <laughs> oh, for, for the majority of the world, I think it is, yeah. eh? So, yeah. No, I, I, if I'm tired and I'm not thinking 100 miles an hour about everything, I can sleep really well. Mm-hmm. The trick is to try and calm the mind enough so that you can go into the sleeping mode. Yeah. I... um. Got a, got carried away fairly recently. I decided I wanted to change my sleeping pattern and go from going to bed at about ten, eleven, and getting up at seven. I wanted to go to bed about eight and get up at three in the morning and have the morning to do everything. I've, I've read a whole lot of books about people that are, were excelling about living living their life and from three in the morning to six, seven in the morning and getting so much done and learning so much and seemed really uh-huh. good. But that's uh-huh. not a great thing for a bipolar. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had an attempt at it for a few weeks and um, Julie started getting worried. And um, I, <laughs> I, I I battled on and thought that I was the one that was in control. And as, as it did, it, it slipped and I let it go past the point of no return and ended up in hospital. We'd, right. we'd um, had enjoyed five years without any problem at all, Julie and I. And um, it was real special years, and then all of a sudden, bang, it, the shit hit the fan. Yeah. But um, remarkably, again, she stood by, by me in a way that nobody ever has. You know, I've, I've got family that, you know, when I go into hospital, that's it. I never hear from them, you know. They, 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 you're in the safe zone and they're, they're content and they don't, they don't feel like they have to say or do anything more now. You're, you're organised. Yeah. But that's sort of the time when I really could appreciate a bit of input and some love and care and that sort of thing. Julie did that. She came every day. She um Yeah. Yeah, she nice. helped. She's pretty amazing. Nice. Mm. What is the role that Julie plays in I guess identifying when you're in a high and it's tipping into something that's maybe gonna be out of control? Like what kind of yeah, she, she she's she's my watchdog in a way. Yeah, she's keeping me with all all things because you know when when we talk about um, things that can cause a high, when we talk about how um, the sleep can be can do it or drinking and that sort of thing, music can do that too. You know, I I, I can play music for twelve hours straight and have a great time and yeah. come out the end of it as silly as a two bob watch. So, <laughs> yeah. so she's sort of monitoring that all the time. It's a big job for her, and um, it's one that a lot of people wouldn't want to take. But by the same no. token, I give her a hell of a lot of loving, and uh, and I respect her to the max. And we have a very equal and loving relationship. 
So, yeah, because uh, you got to remember too that um, the bipolar crops up its head every couple of years or something like that. So all that other time, we're having an amazing time. We've got an incredible yeah. relationship, and yeah. all the things that I get to do, the the support work, and all that sort of thing, and it's special. And it's special the same way that everybody else has. Just because I'm bipolar, it doesn't mean my whole life is a mystery of horribleness. No, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. But it, it does sound like when things are in balance, when things are in moderation, and when you're getting good sleep, when you're mm. uh, not playing music for 12 hours a day, <laughs> when you've just, you know, got things in sort of the right amount, then everything is okay, which, yeah, you know, is a lesson for a lot of people, right? If we yeah. all have our lives in some form of balance, then... Yeah, we're all more successful. That, that so. word you just said, then balance, is one of the yeah. most important words in the vocabulary for a bipolar and all that, and yeah. for general life. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about work because you know if you have an episode and you end up in hospital, you could be away from work. I don't know, like what would be an average period of time? A month, you might couple be of in? months, something like yeah. that. Yeah. How how has that worked for you over your career? I've been very lucky. I I came out when I was 17, you know, out of the coma that I was telling you about and had to start again. I didn't want to go back to school then. I felt like I burnt all my bridges there. And I applied for a job as a survey technician with Tomlinson and Carruthers Surveyors. And um, those guys are bloody good, They're really caring. And I worked with them for 18 years and wow. in that time, I probably had four or five um, highs. Yeah. But every time I had it, they they just um, stepped back. They never stopped paying me, which is you know. And the oh the goodness. guys, the guys after them, because I, I I had a run in with them at, in the end, unfortunately, about, about um, some sort of silliness that they were going through, and they, money was taking the big lead, and they're forgetting about the morals and that. And I walked out of it. And um, I walked on to the other survey firm. These guys were just the same. They're brilliant. That's um, nice. Uh, nice. That's so yes. heartening. I don't think all employers are like that. So no. And then cool. I've since I've left that because I, I I did that for thirty odd years, and um, I I um came over to Palmerston. And I had an opportunity to go into surveying again, but it was getting really stressful and I don't yeah. need stress. That's one of the other things that you really want to eliminate. Yeah. So um, I'd done a lot of work with the disabled back in um, Masterton and, and throughout the wire upper. And Julie said to me, well, you've got a really good idea of how to deal with it, these people. You know, that you, you've got something special going on. Why don't you do something like that over here? So I but thought, what, okay. What are you so doing? I, uh, what work? What work are you doing? I was working with um, the disabled, the CCS and um, IHC, and and in quite a big way. I spent three years working for IHC um, as a um, support worker type of thing, and that, and did um, Special Olympics, involved with the Special oh, Olympics wow. and stuff. And yeah, so I'd done quite a bit of that sort of thing, and um, camps. I did seven camps out at Riversdale every for seven years or something. There's that was my claim to frame with with all the kids, and that that was that wasn't a, a, a hard journey at all. The kids were so amazing; yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, so 
So, um, you know, when I came over here, I thought if I do some sport work, I could do some good. And I got straight into a, um, a couple of guys that I had to look after. One was Down syndrome and another one was Fragile X. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Fragile X. What, tell me a bit more about it. It's, it's sort of, um, like the name says that he's a big guy, but he's very fragile and he's very easily upset and that sort of thing. Okay. So he was a bit of a challenge, but, um, turned out to be like a godsend to me because we got on like real mates and I, I looked after him for nearly a year. Wow. And now I'm looking at, oh, well, I went and looked after a family down in, um, in Levin. And um, the the father and mother were both ADHD. They had three kids. They're all ADHD, and one was autistic. And wow. I had to go and spend time with them each night to get them through the night, so the cooking meals and getting the beds and that. And they were an amazing family, incredible, and um, learned so much from them. Eh? It was brilliant. So I had yeah. a great, great time there. And then now I'm working with a guy in Wanganui. I drive every day to Wanganui and look after a guy that's had a really bad head injury, old Herbie. And um, he's an amazing guy, and his wife's incredible. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful and so lucky. Because like like your initial answer, um, question, you know, how did you cope with your job with um, bipolar, you know? Mm. I, I, I um, had this last episode a couple of months ago when, when um, I was mucking around with my sleep and stuff. And I had to go to hospital for nearly two months. My, I'd been with these guys, Herbie and Pat, for a whole year, every day during the week, and um, to- totally dependent. And then when they, um, when I couldn't make it, we'll be all right, we'll be okay. And oh. they, they looked after themselves, and they, they did get some help help in the end for taking Herbie to the pool because I used to take him to the pool every day for exercise and that. Yeah. So. That that's the sort of thing I I would have thought those people would have said oh, I don't want him don't don't get that guy back but I'm back there now I'm I'm doing my, <laughs> my hours again and we're going yeah. to the pool and we might go to golf on Friday and yeah it's bloody cool so that is so cool. it's, it's not it's not a full stop bipolar you know it's not no. like well if you've got it you, your life's stuffed you you can't do things I've proved no, no, that no. over and over again. And and yeah. the funny thing is, every time I prove it, I prove it to the stage that I get to where I want to prove it too much, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I want to show the world. And then I get high again. And then I come crashing down and i got to start again. So right. I'm sort of going up two steps, flipping down three, and you know. But but you know how but, to do it now, right? <laughs> I know how to do it. I mean, that that's why um, uh, Julie, um, the way she behaved this last time, has created so much um, empowering as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, I feel so much stronger with her. Sure, we have our arguments and things, but the the bottom line is that we really are there for each other. Yeah. And um, having that makes a big difference, eh? a big difference, yeah. Yeah. So. So it's, you know, it's come through so strongly that you have great support in your life and, like many people who have challenges in the world, you're giving back. I think, you know, when you've had an experience yourself and you know what it's like to go through something that's challenging yeah. or life-changing, that that you're, you're giving back 
to people, um, yeah. you know, who need help as well. That's, yeah, that's exactly. Local. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think by coming on this episode and sh- and sharing your experience, I know there'll be people listening who have experience of bipolar either in their family or friends or might have it themselves who will just be so grateful to hear another story. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, you can, you may, I, I um, watch a lot of um, inspirational sort of stuff on videos and stuff like that. And yeah. people, speakers, inspirational speakers. And I thought, I'd love to get out there and do that and talk about what I've been through and get out there. But with all that um, experience that I've got under my belt and everything, I still waver and think, oh, could I really do it, you know? But maybe, maybe, just maybe, I could um, get of off the Of course you could. Yeah. Of course you could. I think coming on a podcast is a first step, right? Yeah. 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 And... Yeah. People love stories. We love hearing other people's stories and experiences. It's how we connect with people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, I'd love well. to see you have a speaking career, John. Yeah. That would be well, super cool. actually, in the in the third and fourth form at Wairapa College, I won the speech awards. <laughs> so I've, I've got I've got speech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah, I know. Julie said to me you should get out and do it, but I don't know. I was. We'll see what happens. Maybe. Yeah. Watch the space, eh? Yeah. Ah, oh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on you. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. That's what I probably need actually. Yeah. I'll get that daughter of mine onto me. She yes. she seems to control my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing your story. I feel very honoured to have you on the podcast. No problem at all, girl. At the Culture Ministry, we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion, and how progress is often slow. You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion, or you might be on your way. The Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.theculture-ministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned something, Please share with your friends on social media, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave a comment. This makes it easier for others to find A Dog Called Diversity. Diversity.